How many children have you adopted? This is an accusation or a challenge that pro-lifers receive while doing outreach fairly often, and that is the focus of today's episode. Stay tuned. Hi, folks. My name is Cam. I am the host of the Pro-Life Guys podcast, a show dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion so that together we can change minds, save lives, and transform culture. Thanks a ton for tuning in to, ta- to today's episode. And big shout out to my colleague, Kyle Coffey, our Manitoba Outreach Director, an incredible dude, a friend and colleague of mine um, for being the inspiration behind today's episode. Today's episode touching on the question um, and and challenge and at times accusation that pro-lifers receive, how many children have you adopted? Um, putting kind of the litmus test of whether or not you can oppose abortion under the scrutiny of you can only oppose abortion if you have already adopted children or are heavily invested in your local pregnancy care center, that sort of thing. Um, Kyle's a champ. Um, Kyle has a ton of brilliant ideas. And and we often talk about pro-life strategy, pro-life apologetics, how to unpack different things. Um, I've mentioned him before in his epic um Facebook posts and whatnot that he makes unpacking um, abortion issues and other cultural issues. And so shout out to Kyle and ultimately all of those incredible folks that I work with who are involved in our different offices. But I, I especially right now want to highlight our two initiatives in Western Canada because they're near and dear to my heart, Kyle and Rose in Manitoba and Kateria and her team in Vancouver. Um, you don't see quite as much from them as you do from our Calgary and Toronto offices because they're smaller, because um, these are, are small teams of folks that are, are doing a, a phenomenal job. Um, but the team is so small that they don't necessarily fill a banner for a newsletter or um, that kind of thing. They don't get quite as much coverage on social media because as a smaller team, they're they're not doing the same size of events. They're not doing a pro-life week of action or, or lots of stuff like that. So big shout out to our initiatives. Um, we're going to have news of another initiative being launched in the new year, so stay tuned for that. But without further ado, let's dive into this question of how do we unpack and respond to the, the question, the accusation, how many children have you adopted or how much money do you put towards pregnancy support? And I want to do three things. I want to start with what I used to do. Um, mostly because I think that there's a lot of other pro-lifers who are doing a similar thing. And there are pros and cons, and I've just found that there are more cons to outweigh the pros. Number two that I want to cover is kind of the foundational, fundamental argument, the, the common ground analogy question that we so often talk about with pro-life apologetics, and I want to talk about that. And then I want to take a little bit of a deeper dive, particularly for those who are very comfortable with common ground analogy question already, and how they can um, kind of take their game to the next level as we're speak a little bit more to the heart of the problem. So let's do it. Let's start with what I used to say. So my, my knee jerk reaction that I used to say, um, and that I, again, have come to think is a little bit ill advised, which is why I've stopped doing it, is respond to the question, how many children or how much money have you invested into um, pastoral support, pregnancy care centers, that kind of thing. I used to respond by saying, well, how much is enough? How many is enough? How many children do I have to adopt in your mind to be able to be out here telling people not to kill their children? And I would do it with the intention of challenging them on the point of, is this message, is truth truth because the person saying it is a good person or is truth truth because it's the truth kind of thing? And and it was based on this principle that 
even very wicked men and women can say very true things that people around them ought to agree with. And yet what I've realized more and more is that there is a component of of um, willingness and social hypocrisy that taints how willing we are to follow somebody. That as soon as somebody that we disagree with will say something, even, whether it's a, a political statement, whether it's a financial statement, whether it's a social statement, if the person who's saying it, we have a, a social construct around them as to whether or not there's somebody that I want to identify with or not, is going to impact not whether or not I am going to accept what they say as true, but whether or not I accept them as an authority to be compelling me to action, right? That, that I might accept that some terrible Democrat who supports um, partial birth abortions and all sorts of other heinous um, policies, I might accept that what they're saying about the poor or about overseas violence is true, but I'm going to say, okay, but they're a massive hypocrite. If, if they support slaughtering children through all nine months of pregnancy and even after birth, then like, who are they to talk about the value of life of those overseas or or the dignity of the human person when we're talking about uh, um, somebody below the poverty line? I, I'm not even going to listen to their call to action. It's not that I will say, therefore, they're lying about the poor living on the street needing my help or, or that there are poor on the street needing help or that um, overseas conflict demand attention. But it, I'm going to disregard their call to action more than their evidence because they're calling people, calling people to terrible action. Um, if Planned Parenthood came out and started saying like, hey, we need to be more mindful of the poor and we need to um, set up these um, homeless shelters that um, protect them from inclement weather during harsh Ohio weather, um, I would probably be like, okay, let's get serious Planned Parenthood. Um, you slaughter children and you want me to believe that you care about these homeless people? I'm not going to listen to you. I think that you're an absolute hypocrite when it comes to trying to have statements on human dignity. And if I'm willing to do that, if I'm willing to throw out a very reasonable statement said by anybody else, right? If somebody that I agreed with said, hey, look at the bitter weather in Ohio right now, we need an influx of money so that all of the homeless people in Cleveland um, have somewhere to stay warm and not die of hypothermia. If somebody that I agree with and think is a good and faithful social actor said the exact same thing, I'd be far more willing to act on it. I wouldn't be far more willing to believe that the situation is true but I'm far more willing to act on it if it's said by somebody that I think is consistent and some pretense of, of living a decent life rather than Planned Parenthood America or something like that. And if we as pro-lifers would take that stance, and I think that it's only fair to anticipate that those who support abortion are going to take that similar stance of like, sure, I might agree that what that pro-lifer is saying about abortion stops a beating heart or abortion is not the solution to challenging problems, that might be true, but I am not in any way motivated to do what they're telling me to do because I see them as a bunch of hypocrites. And so by me saying how many, um, how many is enough, I am challenging that notion, but I'm really just setting up the... Um, 
the the contradiction lines of like okay th- this is getting more and more confrontational rather than more and more um in line and let's work together on this this is challenging the burden of proof of like well how good of a person do i have to be in your eyes before you're willing to accept that what i'm saying is true and i just found that it wasn't particularly productive i would get m- more and more people kind of hunkering down and saying, but no, seriously, have you actually adopted anybody? Have you actually put any of your money where your mouth is? Or are you just some high and mighty soapbox preacher who doesn't actually make any impacts in your life? Are you the today's equivalent of the Pharisee, hyping up heavy burdens on those who pass by without lifting a finger to lighten the load? Because if you are, then I'm not going to bother listening to you. Not because what I think you're saying is tr- is true or false, but rather because I don't think that you are in a position to be offering social commentary on what we should or shouldn't be doing. And so I have stepped away from asking that question, well, how many is enough? Or for the sake of argument, let's say that I've adopted 10 children. Is that enough for us to be able to have a conversation about abortion and the, the ethics of abortion? What I would suggest is number two here, particularly if you're new to having conversations about abortion, common ground analogy question, common ground kind of breaking down those barriers, taking away the confrontational component and making this a let's work together to solve this problem. The analogy to demonstrate a principle, the question to drive it home and pivot back to the morality of abortion. Here's how I applied in in this situation. Common ground being this, you know, you and I agree that parents facing challenging pregnancies need way more help. They need help now. Okay, there's a problem that demands a solution. We agree with that, that that parents need help to navigate challenging pregnancies. The analogy that I would suggest is this. Imagine there's a parent who was planning to kill her born child because of the stress that she was facing, financial stress, whatever it may be. Would she have the ability to tell me, Cam, you can't tell me not to to protect um, this child. Sorry, Maddie. The analogy that demonstrates the principle that I would suggest is this. Imagine there is a parent who is contemplating killing their born child. And I were to tell them, do not kill your born child to solve the problems that you're going through. If they turned around and said, well, unless you adopt all of the children in low-income homes in America, you have no right to tell me that I can't kill my born child. Would that ever be appropriate? The pivot question being this, well, if it's not appropriate to demand that those against killing born children adopt all of the born children in low-income homes, then why is it appropriate to say that I have to do that before I can condemn killing pre-born children? What is the difference between a born child and that same child a few years younger? That's what I want to achieve. That's what I want to draw them towards. Why is it inappropriate to say don't tell me to to not kill my born child until you have adopted a, a ton of born children or until you have ended poverty or until you've put millions of dollars towards um, social services. I'm allowed to kill my born children until there is no strain or, or difficulty remaining. No, we're not going to say that about a born child. So why a preborn child? And I think that works. And I think that that is very worth clinging on to. Um, I, I'll reiterate it again, common ground. You and I agree that parents need a, um, far more support than they're currently getting, particularly those who are trying to navigate challenging circumstances. Analogy again, imagine there's a parent planning to kill their born child because of various difficulties that they're encountering. 
would they be able to say that nobody can tell them they can't kill their born child until all of the born children suffering in America are no longer suffering? If that's not an appropriate qualifier for killing born children, then why for killing preborn children? That's what I want to um, really dive a little bit deeper into. And, and I want to do this by prefacing what I'm actually going to say to them with the principle. Why do we do what we do? Why do we do pro-life outreach? And I think that there are a few different reasons that we're trying to achieve all at the same time, depending on who we're talking to. I think that first and foremost, we have to keep in the forefront of our mind that we do pro-life outreach to save preborn children to change the hearts and minds of those who may at that moment or sometime in the future contemplate killing their child through abortion. That's the primary reason why we do pro-life outreach, to change hearts and minds to make abortion unthinkable. But I don't think that's the only reason why we should be doing pro-life outreach, because I think that there are many different factors that contribute to whether or not somebody is going to um, contemplate or ultimately choose abortion. And so the second main reason in my mind that we are doing pro-life outreach is so that we can both mobilize those who are already pro-life, but even empower those who are not fully pro-life to better support those in challenging pregnancies. One of the most common things that we talk about with those who tell us, you know what, I'm pro-life already, after we clarify to make sure um, that that's awesome. Would you say that there's any situation in which abortion is appropriate? No, no, no. There's no situations. I'm fully pro-life. I'm, I'm Christian. I'm this. I'm that. I'm whatever. I'm fully pro-life. We don't just say, okay, we'll have a good day. Um, and if you are doing that, then then I encourage you to go down this extra route of, if I can ask, have you ever been involved in pro-life efforts before? what that might mean, whether you've been involved in pastoral support, crisis support through your local pregnancy care center, whether that's through educational efforts, political efforts, whatever it may be. Have you ever been involved before? Because I want to get you involved, because I want to mobilize you so that our team trying to solve this problem grows. There's a lot of problems um, that, that we talk about. We, we find that common ground all the time, that there are problems in our world that demand solutions. And I think that it's very appropriate to acknowledge that one of the things that we are trying to do while doing pro-life outreach is to build up support for those in challenging situations, build up support, educational support, material support, I would argue even political support for those in challenging situations. Many times we talk to people and try to get them plugged in with our own educational efforts so that people know that abortion is killing children because... The, the first step in solving any problem is recognizing that there is a problem. However, we also very often try to direct people towards those crisis support ends, whether that's towards the um, baby registries, the groups like Choice for Two are doing, whether that's um, volunteering or donating towards the local pregnancy care center, whatever it may be. We are often trying to empower people to do that. And like I said, not just those who tell us that they're fully pro-life, I remember um, very often while doing door knocking, one, one conversation in particular stands out doing door knocking southwest of Calgary, where um, the fellow that I was door knocking with and I were talking to this, I don't know, maybe mid-50s kind of gentleman who was saying that he thought abortion should be allowed as a last resort. And I kind of pivoted my my argumentation to, towards the lines of like, okay, and so if you found out that somebody that you knew 
was contemplating abortion because they just didn't quite have what they needed. And maybe what they needed was very small. Maybe what they needed was simply somebody to babysit their their four-year-old while they took a newborn child to the doctor. That is literally the only reason why they're contemplating abortion because they don't know how they're going to manage taking their born child to the doctor with them while they're doing all of the like early term um, checkups. Would you be willing to do something so that that mother didn't have to have that abortion, didn't feel like she had to have that abortion? And and the fellow was like, yeah, I, I would absolutely do that. I still think abortion should be on the table, but if I can do small things to make people not feel as though they need abortion, then absolutely I'll do those things. And and so I, I continued in the conversation of like, okay, and so if we could find if what, what this parent needs is actually an awful lot, but if you're offering that one small thing and your neighbor's offering another small thing and on and on and on, if we're all doing more for our neighbor so that our neighbor doesn't need to or doesn't feel like they need to make the choice to kill a born uh, to kill their child, isn't that a better thing? If we all help out a little bit more, if we all try to help out our neighbor, wouldn't that be better than not helping at all and having somebody choose abortion, something that they don't want to choose because they have no support? That's a very long-winded way of saying that what I want to get into is explaining to them that a large part of why we are there is to try to help this problem. And so when they say to me, how many children have you adopted? I am going to deepen my common ground and spend a little bit more time talking about the common ground of, you know, you and I agree that we need way more support for moms and dads, right? Yeah. Can we agree that that few, if any, people who have abortions or consider abortion want that abortion? They, they kind of view it as their only option or as their last resort. Could we agree on that? Well, yeah, absolutely. And so what we're trying to do here is acknowledge that the small community of pro-lifers is insufficient to support all of those in need. We need more people. We need more pro-lifers. We need people who are apathetic and aren't helping to start helping. We need people like you who, um, regardless of where you're at, may be in a position to help. If we had a society that helped pregnant mothers, then we would be in a very different spot than where we are now, where, where pregnant mothers are often hung out to dry, not only by those closest to them, by their boyfriends, their parents, by those around them, but as a community at large, we are not doing enough for those who need help. Could we agree on that? Yeah. And so that's a large part of why we're here, not just to change people's minds on abortion, to convey the fact that you can't solve problems by killing children, but rather that in understanding and accepting that, whether somebody has accepted that since birth because of their upbringing or whether somebody has come to accept that through the conversation that they're having with us, the whole point of what we're doing in changing people's minds on abortion is to empower people to help those in need, to help those who are currently experiencing challenging pregnancies. Imagine that... There was a crisis in Canada where born children were suffering tragically because of lack of support, lack of finances, lack of material, lack of lots of different things. I would agree that those who oppose killing those born children should be doing something, should be doing whatever they can. But in, if they were to recognize that if doing all that they could, they weren't able to do enough. 
don't you think that it would make sense for them to go out on a street corner and try to get other people to help so that these born children weren't suffering in the way that they were? Yeah. And so if we're going to say that people who are against killing born children should both be invested in whatever capacity they can be and empower others knowing that what they are doing and what the current community is doing is insufficient and they should be going out and educating other people so that they too are involved then how's the abortion issue any different right that's where all of the world vision things come in that's where all of the the pet adoption and abuse things and all all these different campaigns that we're going to see around christmas we would never accuse St. Vincent de Paul Society or, or the Mustard Seed or, or the Salvation Army of, well, if you care so much about the homeless, then why aren't you doing more? Okay, well, we're, we're doing as much as we can, but what we can do is not enough. Therefore, we're trying to get more people to do more so that together we address poverty, so that together we address foreign conflict, so that together we address um, hunger and homelessness and all these different things. We would never say to World Vision, well, if you care so much about people in third world countries, then why aren't you, then you should do something about it. You shouldn't be investing your money into educational campaigns. You should be just putting all of that money into into um, helping the poor in places that you care about. But that that's like saying to me, okay, I've, I've got five bucks that I could put towards helping um, somebody who is homeless in my, in my home community. I can either give that homeless person five bucks or I can give that person $2 and invest those $3 into um, postage and notifying, uh, I mean, postage is crazy expensive. I, I used to remember when postage was like super cheap posted. I, I don't even know what it is. I, I got a whole bunch of permanent stamps. Let's say the postage for the sake of conversation is 50 cents per post. I know that it's not, but just as a round number. Okay. So my $3 becomes letters to six people. And if all six of those people donate $5, then my $5 has achieved not only the two that I gave to that person with um, living um, on the streets, but also, yeah, six times $5. I get $32 to that person rather than just my five, that kind of thing. At times, it can make a ton of sense. Obviously, that's not how some charities and groups work. They invest far too much money into fundraising efforts, and that money doesn't actually trickle down to the kids. And it would be better if they just put more money towards whatever cause they're working on. That's beside the point. Let's bring this all back together and put a bow on it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to deepen and further dive into that common ground component of we can agree that there's an awful lot that needs to be done to better support moms and dads in crisis pregnancies and that we need better adoptive services. We need better material support. We need a whole lot of things. And I would agree that pro-lifers not only need to be personally invested, but need to go beyond that because the personal investment of the small community of committed pro-lifers is insufficient, that we can't solve this problem on our own. Therefore, we need to grow the community of people who are willing to help. That's what we're doing. The reason we're doing this is not just to change people's minds so that they don't kill their children to try and solve their problems, but also so that changing their mind, they look towards how they can help other people in these hard situations. Imagine, analogy that we used before, pivot question that we used before, imagine 
that we are living in a crisis of um, suffering for born children. Would we ever say that you can't ask somebody else to alleviate the suffering of born children until you have put every penny of your own towards alleviating the suffering of born children. No, we ask you to do what you can and help grow the community of people who can make a difference so that we can provide the greatest difference possible. If that's the approach that we're gonna take for born children, why does that approach make sense? for preborn children. That's the route that I want to go. That's the way that I would address the question, how many children have you adopted or how much money have you put towards the adoption system? Um, as a few kind of closing remarks, um, I wouldn't necessarily bother at times, unless I'm really deep into a conversation, I've built up a tremendous amount of rapport. I wouldn't really get into the fact that um, I wouldn't be approved to um, adopt a child at this point. Uh, um, as I think I alluded to earlier, um, my wife and I have a three-month-old baby at home. Uh, we got two kids and a lot of adoptive services would say, hey, there is too much transition and flux and uncertainty in your position. Therefore, you're not a strong candidate to adopt that child. Certainly, if I was presented with like a, a dual case of like either you would uh, um, adopt my baby or I abort my baby, what are you going to do? 10 times out of 10, I'm going to respond by saying, you know what, I will take your child and take care of them as long as it makes sense for me to be the one taking care of them, right? That whether that is for five minutes or for five years or for the rest of that child's life, if I'm the person that makes the most sense for me to care for them, then I will care for them for as long as that rings true. And certainly in that immediate moment, if somebody is walking into the abortion facility and saying, unless you would um, adopt my child, I'm going to have this adoption, I will absolutely and truthfully say to them, I will take care of your child as long as that makes sense. And if after that child is born, I, I care for that child for, for a day or two weeks or whatever it may be before they're placed within a, a more logical, responsible adoptive home, whether that's the grandparents of the child, whether that's um, somebody at the top of the waiting list for adoption services, whatever that may be, I will care for that child just like I would care for a born child, right? If, if anybody ever tragically approached me and said like, hey, unless you take adopt my, my four-year-old here, I'm going to throw them in the traffic and kill them because I can't do it anymore. Absolutely, I will say, well, I will take care of your child for as long as it makes sense for me to do so so that you don't kill your child. Absolutely, I take that child into my home. Probably the first thing that I do is call Child Protective Services or, or whatever, foster care line, whatever it may be. And I would, again, doubt that, that child is going to stay in my care. I doubt that I am the person that makes the most sense long-term for that child to stay with. But that's what I do if, if I'm given that ultimatum, either you adopt my child um, or, um, or I kill my baby. If, if they try to blow it up of either you adopt, like I got 10 kids and I'm done with all of my kids, either you adopt all 10 of them or I kill all 10 of them again. I'm, I'm like, it gets more and more absurd, but I'm, I'm going to stand by and, and truthfully say I will do that so long as I'm the one who makes the most sense to care for that child. So I hope that that makes sense. Um, show me out if you have any questions. We are getting closer and closer towards the Christmas season. Here's what you can expect coming down the tube. And so time of posting, this is coming out on Tuesday, December 13th. Um, shout out to my brother. That's his birthday. Um, he turns 
Um, how old are you turning? 34. Um, he's turning 34, my older brother, Jeremy, um, who's awesome. Yeah, um, so this will come out on the 13th. We'll have a Christmas reflection episode or two coming out on um, December 20th in the lead up to Christmas. December 27th is going to be an episode that I do with Jonathan Van Maren, communications director from CCBR. Um talking about kind of our year in review, um, what has been accomplished through the Pro-Life Guys podcast, what has been accomplished through CCBR, the, the minds that have been changed, the, um, the, the outreach that has been done, the views, the conversation outcomes, all that kind of stuff, the incredible work that, that many of you listening here have been a part of um, in Canada and around the world. We can look forward to that. And then it's crazy. We are in 2023s. Um, that, that is wild. And you look forward to some really cool content coming up there. I'm going to get my colleague Quana on. Um, I've actually talked to her about that. So Quana, if you hear about this through the episode before I talk to you, I, I'm hoping to talk to you today, time of recording. Um, but we're going to do a cool episode about um, kind of growing with mentorship and support through the year 2023 and some of the cool things that Quan is working on um, that can help you with that. And then we got a bunch of cool episodes and interviews coming up in the near future, a bunch of history of abortion in Canada and around the world. Um, some very cool interviews with other very prominent pro-life organizations, diving back into some more kind of apologetics content as well. So thanks a ton for tuning in. I hope that your um, year is winding down in a very good and beautiful way. I hope that this will be a time of rest and reflection for many people as we get into the holiday season. Um, and may God bless each of you abundantly. <laughs>